A few announcements uh, before we jump back into worship. You know, uh, our desire is to continue to equip you. Uh, I know many of you love God's word, and for some, it's brand new, right? You just may be getting into God's word. Maybe you didn't even own a Bible until very recently. And so what we've done to kind of help you in your journey of, uh, you know, we, what do we call that around here? Self-feeding, right? Self-feeding, which means we want to equip you with resources to dig into God's word on your own. Uh, on the website, there is a Bible study resources page now. And you can go there, and uh, there are some resources to help you, some websites, podcasts that will help you get to know God's Word. We also have put on there uh, a worship playlist. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, uh, you get used to songs. And you kind of forget that a new believer, this is all new, right? Even the hymns, sometimes we just take for granted. And so we wanted to just give you a bunch of playlists of songs that you can Uh, Learn and you can get familiar, and then there's great teaching, theology in the song. So, uh, if you're curious about the songs, many of the songs we do here regularly, you can pop on the website and start listening on your own. Okay. Uh, Last Sunday, how many of you uh, were blessed by the Acts prayer model? We got to worship and, right? And so, we had a, a suggestion. I thought it was really great. We made these little Acts prayer model cards. So, they're out there in the foyer if you want to take one, tuck it in your Bible, and just a little reminder of how you can. Pray using the Acts model. Also, the uh, list of Bible study resources that are in the website, uh, on the website, they're on the foyer as well. So grab a couple of those before you leave, and uh, we hope that it blesses you. Uh, men, next Saturday at 830, uh, we're going to be meeting in the commons. Really encourage you to come on out, not just to meet some of the guys, but really hear the vision. Hear our heart for the rest of 2023. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet. Ernie, wave your hand there. Ernie's got the sign-up sheet. And if you're interested, even if you, you know, think you might or might not be able to make it, just put your name on there. It helps us plan for food. Um, also, I know it's uh, March 12th, but coming up really quick, uh, April 7th is Good Friday. And I know that uh, many of you join us, the Ojai Valley Ministerial Association. We do all the churches, about five of us, uh, gather for a community-wide service at Libby Bowl. And we're going to do that again. So Good Friday, more details. It usually starts 6 or 6.30. It's not uh, set yet. But we wanted to put that out so you can put it on your calendars. Uh, this year we have the privilege we're going to be leading worship. Our worship team will be out there in Libby Bowl for Good Friday service and also um, heading up communion again. So uh, great opportunity to invite, invite someone, neighbor. Uh, but we're looking forward to that. It's a great gathering. I think last year there's probably like 500 people that come out. So it's a community, church community event that uh, really is a, a wonderful opportunity to remember the Lord's uh, sacrifice. And then, two days later, he rose, right? And we celebrate the resurrection. And uh, some of you probably are still traumatized by the, Kim's announcement. The Easter cow. Was that the Easter cow? So remember, just, yeah, just, yeah, erase that. Because... We're going to put up some happy, happy pictures for you to think of. This is last year. If you weren't here, uh, we set up, we have a pink bunny and uh, a Roman soldier wandering around. Uh, We set up games for the kids, and uh, then there's the actual hunt itself and a couple jolly jumps that uh, really a great opportunity, a great time of fellowship and everything like that. So uh, that's... April 9th, and if you would like to actively participate in blessing the kids in the community, um, we have uh, pre-filled eggs. You've seen them in the stores. If you want to donate pre-filled eggs, 
uh, Kim and the Kingdom Kids staff would really uh, appreciate that. You can bring them Sundays, and uh, we'll use them, I think, I don't know, how many, how many did we have last year? Like hundreds, like literally hundreds and hundreds of eggs uh, all over the place, and it's just a great opportunity uh, to celebrate as a church family. So if you'd like to do that, just bring them on Sundays, and uh, Kim would be very thankful. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, as Richie said, this is my first time preaching on a Sunday. So I do appreciate everyone that was uh, giving me some applause earlier. I hope you can still do that afterwards. So we'll see how this goes. Um, So again, it is my first time. And and I like that Richie mentioned uh, just talking about gifts and giftings, because ever since I became a Christian long ago, 10, 12 years ago, uh, I've just always kind of had a desire and a knack for teaching and just sharing God's word. And so it is a privilege to get to be up here this morning and share God's word with you all this morning. So we're going to get started. And, you know, Richie kind of, he, he likes to kind of poke fun at me about this whole pastor thing, and, and I really don't like it. So I, what I thought I would do to kind of have some fun with it this morning is do what every pastor and preacher does in their sermons, which is using alliteration. And I'll show, what, show you what I mean. Uh, so I have a f- kind of fun title for this morning, and this is what it is. Paving the path of persistent patience while progressing the purifying process of pyrosmos. And so that last word is actually the Greek word for trials. So I, now I think I've, I've made it as a, a preacher slash pastor using alliteration. And so the actual title of the sermon this morning is the purifying process of trials. And when Richie said, gave me this opportunity to come share a message, I didn't really have anything in mind directly, but the, the, the theme of trials came up for me, and I think God just really put it on my heart because uh, trials have really just been pretty standard and normal for me in my walk with Jesus. And I think many of you would, could say the same. And... You know, for me, it's been anywhere from hardships of just uncertain circumstances, circumstances that are challenging or difficult or confusing. And I think for me personally, one of the hardest ones is when I go through seasons of doubt. Because when we doubt God's goodness and we doubt his faithfulness, that really undergirds so much of our lives. And so I wish I could say that I've handled trials and challenges in my life really well as a Christian should, you know, we, we say it's, it is well with my soul. And there have been plenty of times where I've not said that and I've just been angry. And so as we approach the topic of trials, I do want to be sensitive because I know that many of you have gone through serious suffering or are going through suffering right now. And it's not a subject to be taken lightly because it is painful. And there's just the words can't describe the things that we go through, even when we try to throw verses at our suffering. And so I do want to be mindful of that, but I also want to, you know, as we, I don't want to minimize the suffering that we may go through, but I also want us to, to maximize God's promises that he has for us during that. And I think during that process, that, that actually puts our trials into a different perspective, And so really my heart with my message this morning is that it's encouraging. I I really hope that you guys can all be encouraged 
with the things that you're going through and in turn, be encouraged to encourage other people that are going through hardships and trials. And when I think about all of us here as a family, whether we call this our church family or not, we have a great opportunity to bless each other as a family. And I know we have our own unique families that we go to and we see, you know, everyone here maybe once a week, but this is a, an integral part of our walk as believers is walking alike, alongside one another when life is hard. And so we're going to jump right into uh, a famous passage of scripture that talks about trials. We're going to take a look at James. And so we're going to start right in chapter 1, uh, verse 1, with our, the greeting that James has to his audience. And so this is what it says in James 1.1. 1, 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So just a little bit of background. This is a pretty standard approach that the writers would do back in the day. They had this kind of formal greeting. And so this, is, this James is actually uh, the half-brother of Jesus, and there's been debates about who it really is, but it really makes sense with that being his half-brother. And it's interesting, he doesn't even mention his connection to Jesus, which I, the way that he uses that word servant, I think, says a lot about who James is and his role. And so his role actually back then was he was the, one of the chief elders of the church in Jerusalem. So he had a, he had a pretty big role in people's lives. And so what, what's happened, though, is for some reason there was some kind of persecution happening and a lot of them had to leave and a lot of them went north and so they had new, a totally new location, perhaps new traditions and things like that. And I kind of thought of it as if a group of us were persecuted enough that some of you had to go to Iowa, where I'm from. Now, I don't think it would actually be as bad, so perhaps we, maybe some of us actually ended up in L.A. or something uh, and it's a little rougher down there. So anyhow, so he's writing to them, and he's also, this is for us, when we're going through hardships, and he's writing to encourage them in their trials. And so a lot of them actually, you know, we could assume that they got new jobs, and so they were actually being taken advantage of, uh, and they weren't being given fair wages. But he's writing to them and encouraging them, and as we'll see in the next couple verses, and this is going to be where we kind of hang out this morning, uh, he wants to encourage them and in a really big way. So in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so again, we're going to just kind of walk through that. And although this is going to be maybe an hour, or maybe an hour and a half, right, Bill? Two? Two hours? Okay. Uh, there's so much to unpack, and I wish we could do a lot more, but I'm going to just try to do my best to get through these verses and to really, again, give us perspective on trials. And so we're going to just look at that first word, count, and in your translation, depending on what you have, it may say consider or reckon, a uh, little southern twang there. So the picture is really is of someone leading their mind through a, a reasoning process to arrive at a conclusion. So we think about considering or thinking. And so really, simply, it's thinking about something and then coming to a conclusion. Now, that count word is also a command. And so James is giving this command for his readers and us to think through 
these things. And the, I think there's a, an important distinction between, with what he says about thinking, because I think what we often do is we often sift things through how we feel. And so his command for us is about how we should think about the things that we're going through, not rely on how we feel. And I don't have to convince you guys that our culture, we are very drawn towards just doing things how we feel. And I feel this way, or maybe if you guys were to ask me how I'm doing this morning, honestly, I would say I'm, I'm doing good, and I'm feeling mostly good, even though I'm a little nervous, but I'm feeling all right. And so... Again, it's, emotions are, are good things. God gave us emotions. He created us with emotions. But I think where we have to be careful is when those emotions lead the way so strongly that we just don't really think and we don't consider things. And emotions are actually pretty fleeting. They, they last a short while. And we often are just so driven by them and we respond and we react very quickly to our feelings. And so James is saying, don't, don't be all about feelings, but you have to think and consider. And so I decided to do a little bit of research because emotions are pretty fascinating things. We're still learning about them today. And I found a very interesting set of facts that this Harvard brain scientist found out. Her name's Dr. Jill Taylor, and she says this about emotions. She says, 90 seconds is all it takes to identify an emotion and allow it to dissipate while you simply notice it. So when you're stressed, pausing 90 seconds and labeling what you're feeling, for example, I'm getting angry, tamps down activity in the amygdala. MRI studies of the brain show that this emotion labeling calms the brain region involved in angry outbursts and helps you regain control. She continues and says, when a person has a reaction to something in their environment, there's a 90-second chemical process that happens in the body. After that, any remaining emotional response is just the person choosing to stay in that emotional loop. Now, does anybody, anybody know about that emotional loop? <laughs> I figured. Well, I uh, thought I'd get a little real here and talk about mine. And, it, of course, it happens when I'm actually, you know, prepping for this sermon. And so I found this, this, um, these, this kind of in, these interesting facts. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's good. And so this was like, Three weeks ago, it doesn't take me a week like Richie to prep, so I was practicing long ago. And so I was like, I set that aside. I was like, yeah, that, I think I'll, I'll probably use that. And then later on, and I was taking some classes at VC, and there is this particular class that, you know, from the love of the teacher, she, the, the, uh, the professor, she wanted us to have a free book. And I'm all about free stuff. But the quiz that went along with that book, I would say about 70% of it was good, and it came from the book. And then the other 30%, I don't know where it came from, but I was getting frustrated. I was getting mad. I was actually getting really angry because it reflected in my grade, and I was getting things wrong. And I felt like, it's like this is not fair. How, how can you give me this this test, this quiz, and, and expect me to know these answers when they're clearly not in the, in, the, in the book. So, of course, I thought about this 90-second loop thing, and the 90 seconds came, and they went. And if you're like me, when you realize that you're, you 
When you're upset and then you realize that you're upset and that maybe you probably shouldn't be, you get even more upset. So it put me into another loop and I don't know how long it was, but what I, and really what I was doing was I, even though it had happened and I felt like I was, you know, there was justice that not was, was not being made there. This was an unjust thing. And I just kept replaying that scene over and over again, how unfair it was. And it had already happened. And then I think it happened again the next week when I took the next quiz. And so she continues on with the rest of her, her quote here. She says, if you continue to feel fear, anger, and so on, you need to look at the thoughts that you're thinking that are re-stimulating the circuitry that is resulting in you having this psychological reaction over and over again. And so we have to really look at, well, where are our thoughts? And are we even aware that we go into that emotional loop? It doesn't have to be anger. It could be fear. It could be worry. And it could be anything. So where are our thoughts? And are we aware that our thoughts are keeping us in that loop? Because I think part of the problem is we just don't really know it. I wasn't really aware of it until some brain scientist was like, no, you got 90 seconds and that's it. So I thought we would get some, some insight from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. And so in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, he says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy strongholds in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so in our moments of fear or worry, is are we taking our thoughts captive? Or do we just kind of let them go and do their thing and we just get in that emotional loop and we just stay there? And we just hang out there and you know, everything's fine. At least we think it is. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, also Paul, he says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Again, I think that's our challenge when we get wrapped up in our emotions and our thoughts and our mind is really set on the things of this earth. And I think there's a phrase that, you know, we're picking the lint out of our belly button. We're just looking down all the time and I'll admit, I'm definitely a, a navel gazer when it comes to stuff like this, you know. You get stuck there. And, 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 what, and what we're not doing is we're not really thinking about these, these realities of heaven, and we're not putting them into that right perspective. And so again, James, his command for us is not, his command for counting it and considering it is not about how we feel, but it's how we should think about our circumstances. And so J. Mike Munich says this about considering he says, the word consider does not refer to trials. Rather, it refers to how we are to face the trials. It's not a joy to go through trials, but we are to consider it a joy that we can face our trials in God's will and purpose. We must begin the journey of any trial or tribulation with the confidence that we can face it with God's help. We are not to fear trials, but face them. It may well be that in facing a trial, we are actually discovering a door to greater ministry grander joy, and a more glorious relationship with Christ. 
And so he mentions joy there, and that's where James goes in his, uh, this passage. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what is joy? And so in James 1-2, he says, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so what I thought we'd do is we'd just first define joy from a, a worldly perspective. And I just went and found it in the dictionary. And it says, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And then happiness is similar. Happiness in the context of mental or emotional states is positive or pleasant emotions ranging from contentment to intense joy. Other forms include life satisfaction and well-being. So that's kind of the way we think about happiness. And so I did some more research, found a very interesting uh, survey, and it was titled The Top Sources of Happiness in the World. So they pick 30 different countries and they survey, well, what is it that brings people the most happiness? And the number one thing that brought happiness was physical health and well-being. And that was from, I think, 31 categories, and they had stuff on there like the state of the economy or having more money. And actually, the last one on the list was the amount of time that one spends on social media, which is still made it to the list, but it was the last one. So whether it's our physical health, having more money, or even having the, the hobbies that we have, we all, whoops, we all have things that bring us joy and happiness in a, I guess we could think about it, a superficial way, because if that thing is gone, we don't really have it. Now, happiness and, again, emotions kind of get a bad rap in the church because they are often superficial. They don't last. There often has to be these things that come into our lives to sustain them. But James says later down in, this, in his chapter 1 of verse 17, he says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So God, you know, even though these things bring us temporary happiness, God still loves to give us good things, and he's a good gift giver. You know, he loves to shower us with gifts, and all the things that we have are those, those gifts that are given from him. But the challenge is, well, what happens when those things go away? And now what? Are we still going to have that happiness? Stephen Cole says this about that passage in verse 17. He says, James says that with the Father of lights, there is no variation or shifting shadow. He's drawing a comparison with the sun. And like the sun, God does not vary in his essential nature, which is light. He always steadily is light. He is always good. But on earth, we do not always experience the steady light of the sun. It varies on cloudy days at night and with the changing seasons. James means that when we experience what seem to be cloudy days or dark nights or wintry seasons, do not make the mistake of thinking that God has changed in his essential goodness towards us. His nature and his purpose towards his children are steady and unchanging. Therefore, we can trust him at all times and in every difficult circumstance. So that brings us to what joy is from a biblical perspective. Because joy from a biblical perspective is not based on what we go through and the circumstances that we are in. 
a couple commentators say, have some, some things to say on joy. So Martin Lloyd-Jones says, he satisfies my mind, he satisfies my emotions, he satisfies my every desire. He and his great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less, and in him I am complete. So joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Donald Campbell says that joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which was promised to those who abide in Christ. It does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. And I really think that's where we have to wrestle is when we see that God is sovereign over all things. He's in control of all things. And when we go through hardships, it really pokes at that. Do we really believe that? And so counting it all joy means that we adopt a, a certain type of attitude when we go through circumstances. And so our joy is not, or our joy is an inward contentment in Jesus, but it's, and it's not an obsession with the circumstances that are going on around us. So Stephen Cole says this about joy. He says, biblical joy in times of trials is not natural optimism. It is the joy of hope in God and his sure promises. This radical attitude results from a deliberate choice. And the choice is, will I trust in God and his promises are not? And so again, God's sovereignty, do we, do we believe that God is good? And we, we say that a lot. God is good. And all the time, and that's our challenge. Do we believe that God is really good? And I think one of the ways that we really find this out is when we go through testing, is when we are in the midst of a trial and, and that stuff comes up. So when we, when we go through the Bible, we actually find a lot of people that experience severe trials and hardships from beginning all the way to the end. And we, we could take the Israelites, for example. God's people, he brings them out of Egypt. They've been enslaved for 400 years and saves them miraculously. They go through the Red Sea because Moses parts it. They're there safe on land afterwards, leads them through the wilderness. And God is just providing for them like left and right. But then I think like what we do, we complain a lot. What, what's going on? It would have been better that we died in Egypt. Have you brought us out here to, to the wilderness to die? And they're just, they're about to stone Moses. And so we have some insight uh, from Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 to 3, about what God reveals, about what he was do, doing during that time. And so it says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And then later on in verse 16, it says this, in the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. And so can we 
confidently say that God is testing us for our good. Even when, I mean, when we, if we're honest, we just say it sucks. Like, we're just going through this and it's not fun. Can we confidently say that that testing is, is good for us? And that God is good in, in allowing that to happen? So William Barclay has a really interesting observation about the, the word that James uses for testing. And he says, James describes this process of testing by the word dachimion. It's an interesting word. It is the word for sterling coinage, for money which is genuine and unalloyed. And so the aim of testing is to purge us of all impurity. And so his observation there of that word for testing is very similar to what Proverbs says about testing. And in Proverbs 17.3, it says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. So the way that God tests hearts is, has this image of this, these precious metals being melted down. And so, of course, I, I don't really know what a crucible is, so I decided to just look up some of this stuff, and it's actually quite fascinating. So when they are refining silver or gold, they put this, their metal in this thing called a crucible, and I think we have a slide there. It's a little, yeah, it's a big cup. So they put all their metal in there, and this is metal that has not been refined at all, and so another thing they do, they add in there is a, like a sand-like substance called flux. So what they do is they melt this thing down until the metal and all that stuff in there is completely liquid, and then they pour it out into a mold, which I think we have, yeah, there we go, super hot liquid metal, and it all gets poured out into this kind of cone-shaped mold, and so what happens is that flux fuses with all the junk stuff in there, all the impurities and all the dross, and it fuses with it. And because it's lighter, it actually floats to the top. And so your heavy, precious metal, like gold or silver, sinks to the bottom. So after they've poured that in there and it's hardened, they will dump it out, and you'll have just a nice little cone shape. It doesn't look pretty, but you break off the little button on the end, on the top of the cone, and you have just this little piece of refined metal. And so often what they do is they'll throw that, make that thing go through the process again to further refine the metal. And you just keep having all this, this dross and the, these impurities uh, that they take away from the metal. And so that's really the idea of our trials and the testing that we go through is that God is refining us during that process. And he's removing all the the impurities, and all the junk to really make us reflect Jesus more. We are being made more like him through the refining process. And so when I think about my emotional loop story of, of anger, you know, you guys may say, well, well, it could have been righteous anger. It could have, I think. But I, I think it's more of uh, selfish anger, honestly, because I was more concerned about myself. And it's, and it's in those moments where I think God was actually testing me and I was in this, this hardship, although some might not say it's hard. It's like, it's just a grade, man. But you know, for me, and we all have unique experiences with trials and stuff that God was actually working out these things in me and, and anger is what came out. And so in Galatians, we kind of have a, a bit of a, a view of some of the things that may get worked out during our trials. And so in Galatians five nineteen through 21, it says, 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. There that one is. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, etc. <laughs> so when God is refining us, these things may come out. Well, I should say some of these things will come out. Because God is revealing things during that, that really hot process of refining. Now, conversely, the, the good side of that is God is also wanting to work out other things in us. The fruit of the Spirit. So just a little bit later after those verses in Galatians 5, through 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, how do we think that we're going to develop those particular fruits of the Spirit? How are we going to develop love or patience? So Jesus has something to say about this. In Luke 6, 32 through 35, he says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, then what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. And here's the the biblical but, Bill. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So honestly, I think when, um, you know, the way that the fruit of the Spirit is actually worked out in us is when life is rather inconvenient. When life's not easy. When we're in a situation where we're with someone who isn't lovable, and are we going to love them? We're in a situation where we should exercise patience and we, do we exercise patience? Or in a situation where we could have joy or a situation where there's no reason for joy from the circumstance um, point of view, but we have joy or similar with peace. Circumstances that we should clearly have no peace, but do we have peace? And so again, God is testing us to remove those impurities that don't reflect him, that don't honor him. and He's wanting to work out the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if we think about the things, I know that when Richie first asked me to preach, I was like, mm, I don't know. I mean, it was hard to say no to Richie because <laughs> I know it's probably a good thing. But what I wanted to do, and I think what's, easy for a lot of us when trials come and life is inconvenient is we find a way out of it. We want to get away from the trial, the hardship, whether it's something simple and easy like rinsing the dishes <laughs> I wasn't looking at Shiloh. But yeah, we, you know, the part of the challenge is sticking with the discomfort. And so James actually encourages us, encourages us in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces 
steadfastness. So I'm going to ask Richie to come up here. So this is great because if you guys know Richie, he likes to do these things. And he actually did this very thing to me. So if you want to get your cameras out, <laughs> I'm going to like go to the archive and we're going to, we're going to compare photos because he had me wear one of these like four or five years ago. So we're going to just do a little demonstration here. You might want to strap that on. It's going to get heavy, dude. <laughs> so, Richie is you, or this could be your life, you know, but we're going to just use Richie because he's nice and strong. And we've got some trials here that uh, just come at us. So that person, that coworker that you try to avoid that's really annoying and you're like, I'm, see ya, I'm not going to the break room. You know, we got to... Oh, I guess we got to take that off, huh? Let's see. Got to love that person, Richie. There's five pounds of, of love right there. Uh, in a circumstance where, uh, you know, you, there's no peace. Kind of like when, uh, are you really sure that you wanted to ask me to, to do this sermon? <laughs> so now he's, he's questioning whether that was a good idea. Uh, circumstances of joy. Am I going to have joy in this circumstance? All right, let's get that. We're not done yet. We got to turn you around. We got at least 15 more pounds. Uh, you know, we got, uh, let's see. Circumstances of being kind. That person who decides to, I don't know, cut you off or give you a textbook that's really not that great to the quiz. Uh, you're angry and you, you know, we have to show gentleness. We'll throw some anger in there. And, uh, should you, should you really eat that, uh, that thing of Rocky Road ice cream and we got some self-control. All right. All right. I think that's like a 50 pound pack. How's it feel? Heavier. All right. <laughs> so the idea of, of what James says about steadfastness and that's a really interesting word because it may say patience or endurance, steadfastness, long-suffering. Is the word in the Greek, we don't, there's really no English equivalent. So we come up with all these. But the word literally means to remain under. And so when God is testing us and he's testing our faith, he's really testing our ability to remain under the pressure. Now, when we think about the metal that's being melted down, is if we were to prematurely remove the heat from that and it doesn't melt all the way, we would still have gold and junk impurities mixed together, and they, they wouldn't be separated. And so when we think about the trials that we go through in life, is we just still continue, like we talked about the emotional loop, we'd still just be in that going on and on if we just keep you know, moving out from under these trials. And so what James is saying is that when we go through the hardship and we go through the trials, is that we have to, when we remain under, it's creating this endurance, this ability to continue to remain under so that God can continue his work of sanctification and making us more like Jesus in that process. And, you know, if we run, we decide to escape the pressure, escape the heat, or the weird, awkward conversation that God may be you know, using to bless someone, 
you know, we, we really just are running away from that, that process that could just bring us closer to being more like Jesus and maybe even having breakthrough for this person who's just so annoying or fill in the blank. And so, I guess we can go ahead and take this off, Richie. You can wear it if you want. Is it getting? I'm good. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can. Oh, my. I'll go down. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. <laughs> And so, you know, we, I, I want to bring up Job because I think he was one man in the Bible that had probably the most severe amount of trials and hardships. He completely lost his family and his sheeps and his goats. And I don't know really the equivalent, but I think about if I lost my precious gaming consoles and <laughs> our, that big TV that Tyler's letting us borrow... I may not be in as much pain and suffering as him, but I think I'd be pretty bummed, you know? <laughs> so the, the idea is, and even with this, you know, this is actually a, a training pack. And I had one that was half that weight. It was 25 pounds. And what I would do is I would go hike Lucy's. It's a really steep trail out back there. And uh, I don't know what we were thinking. We're like... Let's see how fast that we can hike this little segment on Lucy's with a pack on. And so it was not fun at first. Actually, it wasn't fun any time. But it eventually developed endurance in us to be able to do it. And so we would time ourselves, and we were pretty stoked whenever we just notched it down a couple seconds here and there. And so that's the same picture with us remaining under our trials. And so from this perspective, we... You know, we in- increase our endurance, our ability to keep going, to keep hiking longer, more cardio, and that kind of a thing. And what's really being tested as a whole is our physical fitness. So if I was to put that on right now and just go walk outside, it'd probably wear me out. And so what it's doing is it's revealing, it's testing, improving what my fitness level is. And so when I'm about to die, because that thing is so heavy, that's like, all right, your physical fitness has been tested and proven to be this good from, from here. You know? And so it's very similar with our faith. When we're going through the trials, it's our faith is being tested, and it's being tested. Its genuineness is being tested. And so really, in, in short, endurance or our ability to remain under trials is really our faith just being stretched out. And that's how we grow. Because if we don't, we, like I said, we, we stay in that same cycle and we don't, we don't grow. And God's desire for us in becoming more like him individually and as a church is that we would continue to reflect him to a world that is very much opposed to the things of God. And so I want to close with this quote by Stephen Cole. And it really, I think, brings a lot of this home. And so he says, We do not know if our faith is genuine until it stands up under the test. You can buy a jacket that claims to be waterproof. And if you wear it on dry days, you have not put that jacket to the test. The test of your jacket is if you get caught in a downpour, does it keep you dry? If it does, you say, that is a good jacket. And it's easy to proclaim, I trust in God. Anybody can say that. But the test of your faith is when you really do choose 
to trust God in a severe trial. Afterwards, you know that your faith is genuine because it brought you through the trial. But the point is, when you are faced with a trial, you have a choice. And will I trust God and the promises of his word as I have professed to do or not? And so to trust God and experience his hope and joy in the midst of trials is a radical attitude that James commands us to adopt. And so it really is a radical, and I would even say supernatural attitude. It's not, like one of the commentators said earlier, it's not natural optimism. It's, I mean, we can get a little ways just by ourselves, but it's a supernatural thing that happens. And honestly, I want to be the first, I'll be the first to admit that it's not easy. And the, the just interesting thing about me up here sharing, and perhaps even why God put this on my heart, is you know, I mentioned you know, seasons of doubt earlier. And it's actually what I'm going through right now. I'm just, you know, early on, it's like so easy to just trust God and know his promises. But now it's, instead, actually, instead of seasons, it's been years. And so our nav- when we navigate trials, it's not going to be easy. And for what it has been for me is it has, it's honestly been a fight and a battle. Things don't just come as easily. I have to actually fight and work through the process of taking these, these truths from Scripture and actually doing something with it. And so I say that because I'm just some guy up here that had a, an opportunity to share and use his gifting, but I still go through just as many trials and hardships like all you guys. And so, again, I want this to be an encouraging word for us because a lot of us are going through things and I, I wanted to share just a, a kind of an analogy that I found I was watching a, a really cool Bible series called The Truth Project and the facilitator uh, he, he talked about he was going through his own period of wrestling when he came upon this scripture in I think it was first or second Kings and when he was referencing it just a few chapters later, he, it seemed like it didn't line up. And it actually seemed to be um, conflicting with that. They're like, how could this happen here? But it says it ha- this thing happened here. And so it threw him into what he calls a, a cocoon. Now, eventually, he, he worked through it, and he actually spent a lot of time doing some digging, and he found some answers, and he found closure But I like the analogy he used because he said, I went into the cocoon stage where, just like a caterpillar who's becoming a butterfly, goes into this cocoon, into the chrysalis. And actually during that process, the caterpillar is literally like liquefied from being a caterpillar and it's put back together somehow through metamorphosis and it becomes something completely different. And so I like that image because I think it's very similar for us when we go through trials, is that God is, we go in as a little caterpillar, and we're angry about, you know, our test. And if we're willing, and we stick with it, and we remain under that, that process, that God will bring us through to the other side as something completely different. And then we're a butterfly, But then, a little while later, we go through another cocoon stage. 
And we've learned some things, and but clearly we have some more things to learn as we continue on, and God takes us through another stage where we remain under and we remain in the process. And so I want to encourage us that, you know, we, we can be little caterpillars when we go through the cocoon and just allow God to work out his loving process of purification while we go through things that are challenging. And I, when I think about us, you know, we all go through things individually, but as corporately, we, we don't go through these things alone. And we don't have to go through them alone. And I think the way that God designed us as a church is that we would do things as a family. And I like to use that word. And actually, Mark asked me yesterday at a worship practice, he's like, why are you here? And he asked us all that. And one of the things that really came to my mind, and I feel like God just put on my heart, was the importance of us as a family. And although we come from very different families, our our family, our, our identity as a family in Christ is of utmost importance. And I know it's hard to see that because we only see each other, you know, maybe some of us see each other during the week, but I know I see a lot of you only on Sundays. And it's easy to kind of lose sight of the fact that we are all a family. And I would say more family. I know that's audacious. We're more family in Christ than we are just the little pockets that we have of and where we are in our community our culture. And so I just hope that as we continue to go through trials together, that we can love and support and encourage one another because we really do need each other. And I think as individualized Westerners, that's weird. I don't, I don't like to ask for help. I can figure it out on my own, and I definitely do sometimes, but I know for me, a heart check is... Who are, you, who are you asking for support and prayer? And so I wanted to leave us with just three verses that honestly I've written down. I, I use the Bible app and I put them down as my prayers. And I'll go through these. And it's not like putting a Band-Aid on a wound. These are things that, again, we have to ruminate on to, to change the way that we think about stuff. And so the first one is Psalm 91, verses 1 to 2. It says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. In Psalm 125, 1 through 2, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And I like that one because I came from a place with cornfields, not mountains. And so I would just look outside and be like, man, the mountains that are surrounding Ojai, I just connect it with that. You know, immovable. And so for those of us who trust and the Lord, we're like the mountains when we abide in Christ. And so finally, in Isaiah 26, 3-4, it says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock.
And again, I think we go through things and we have these verses that I'm sure we've, many of us have heard before. And again, the challenge is, is the battle that we all face of, of really applying that to our lives. And on Wednesdays when I talk with the students, I love teaching them and I love that they can know new things. And it's similar here. I, I hope you guys can learn things for those that have never heard this stuff, you know, learning new things or many of us perhaps relearning something. But as much as I want there to be new things or things learned, that there's also the aspect of us working it out. And so we have opportunities, I would say all the time, if we're just willing to look and see that, opportunities to put what we've learned into practice. So I want to end before we close in prayer with Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. A few announcements uh, before we jump back into worship. You know, uh, our desire is to continue to equip you. Uh, I know many of you love God's word and for some, it's brand new, right? You're just maybe getting into God's word. Maybe you didn't even own a Bible until very recently. And so what we've done to kind of help you in your journey of, uh, you know, we, what do we call that around here? Self-feeding, right? Self-feeding, which means we want to equip you with resources to dig into God's word on your own. Uh, on the website, there is a Bible study resources page now. And you can go there and uh, there are some resources to help you, some websites, podcasts that will help you get to know God's word. We also have put on there uh, a worship playlist. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, uh, you get used to songs. And you kind of forget that a new believer, this is all new, right? Even the hymns, sometimes we just take for granted. And so we wanted to just give you a bunch of playlists of songs that you can uh, learn and you can get familiar and then there's great teaching theology in the song so uh, if you're curious about the songs many of the songs we do here regularly you can pop on the website and start listening on your own okay uh, last Sunday how many of you uh, were blessed by the Acts prayer model we got to worship and right and so we had a, a suggestion I thought it was really great we made these little Acts prayer model cards so they're out there in the foyer if you want to take one tuck it in your Bible and just a little reminder of how you can Pray using the Acts model. Also, the uh, list of Bible study resources that are in the website, uh, on the website there, on the foyer as well. So grab a couple of those before you leave, and uh, we hope that it blesses you. Uh, men, next Saturday at 8.30, uh, we're going to be meeting in the commons. Really encourage you to come on out, not just to meet some of the guys, but really hear the vision. Hear our heart for the rest of 2023. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet. Ernie, wave your hand there. Ernie's got the sign-up sheet. And if you're interested, even if you, you know, think you might or might not be able to make it, just put your name on there. It helps us plan for food. Um, also, I know it's uh, March 12th, but coming up really quick, uh, April 7th is Good Friday. And I know that uh, many of you join us, the Ojai Valley Ministerial Association. We do all the churches, about five of us, uh, gather for a community-wide service at Libby Bowl. And we're going to do that again. So Good Friday, more details. It usually starts 6 or 6.30. It's not uh, set yet. But we wanted to put that out so you can put it on your calendars. Uh, this year we have the privilege we're going to be leading worship. Our worship team will be out there in Libby Bowl for Good Friday service and also um, heading up communion again. So uh, great opportunity to invite, invite someone, neighbor. Uh, but we're looking forward to that. It's a great gathering. I think last year there's probably like 500 people that come out. 
So it's a community, church community event that uh, really is a, a wonderful opportunity to remember the Lord's uh, sacrifice. And then, two days later, he rose, right? And we celebrate the resurrection. And uh, some of you probably are still traumatized by the Kim's announcement, the Easter cow. Was that the Easter cow? So remember, just, yeah, just, yeah, erase that. Because... We're going to put up some happy, happy pictures for you to think of. This is last year. If you weren't here, uh, we set up, we have a pink bunny and uh, a Roman soldier wandering around. Uh, We set up games for the kids, and uh, then there's the actual hunt itself and a couple jolly jumps that uh, really a great opportunity, a great time of fellowship and everything like that. So uh, that's... April 9th, and if you would like to actively participate in blessing the kids in the community, um, we have uh, pre-filled eggs. You've seen them in the stores. If you want to donate pre-filled eggs, uh, Kim and the Kingdom Kids staff would really uh, appreciate that. You can bring them Sundays, and uh, we'll use them, I think, I don't know, how many, how many did we have last year? Like hundreds, like literally hundreds and hundreds of eggs uh, all over the place, and it's just a great opportunity to celebrate as a church family. So if you'd like to do that, just bring them on Sundays, and uh, Kim would be very thankful. 